This morning, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of John. Our passage will be chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. Let's go back to uh, verse 16 to start. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. But everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Uh, again, I'll just comment, depending on the Bible you're looking at, my text all the way through to verse 21 is in red letters, which means Jesus said it. But it wasn't in red letters when John wrote it, and so it's not exactly clear where the speech of Jesus ends and where John's um, comments and summation begin and end. Um, I'm rather inclined to think that Jesus' remarks ended after describing the coming of the Son of Man uh, in the fulfillment of the picture of the serpent on the snake. So that would be verse 15, you know, when he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus liked to use that label. That's, he's surely speaking there that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So is Jesus still speaking in verse 16, for God so loved the world? Or is this John now saying, so let me kind of summarize, for God so loved the world that he gave his begotten, only begotten son in this way. Um, either way, it's God's word. Either way, it's absolutely true. Uh, and so um, I just call that to your attention. I may slip back and forth even in the sermon and say Jesus is saying John speaking. When I say John, of course, this is John A., the apostle, not John B., the Baptist. Okay, let's look at verse, our text. Verse uh, 19, he speaks of loving the darkness. John three nineteen. this is the condemnation, that the light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So John 3 is recording the encounter with Nicodemus, a Pharisee the teacher of Israel, so he, and a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the leaders, the a rulership of Israel, comes to speak with Jesus, and Jesus, and after he quickly calls Jesus rabbi and says, we know you're from God because no one could do the signs you do unless he's from God. And Jesus right there then says, you must be born again. If you don't see the kingdom, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And again, that's what I call Jesus teaching by confusion. Because then he gets people asking questions. I feel like I've mastered the art of teaching by confusion. <laughs> I'm not sure I, I lead it to the conclusion that of helping the, dispel the confusion. But anyway, Nicodemus, born again, what are you talking about? 
And then Jesus makes clear he's talking about a spiritual birth. Because that word born again or that again can also mean from above. And so in one sense, it is again, it's a new birth, but it's also from above. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And then he summarized, brought it to a conclusion by talking about how he came to do what that serpent in the wilderness that was put up on the pole did by being crucified. Jesus would draw all men to himself. But in other words, the stunning report, Messiah came to die. Messiah came to be crucified to accomplish his work. He also made it clear, though, it's not, and it's not an optional program. You know, one of many ways to life to God. Instead, he made it clear, those who believe have no condemnation. Those who have not believed in Jesus Christ are already condemned. What that means is we begin condemned. We begin Guilty, we begin under the righteous, just wrath of God. And it's only when we believe and trust in Jesus Christ, and that's the only escape. That's the only resolution to our guilt. Those who believe in the Son are those who are saved and have life. So our passage this morning continues that idea. This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. So he says man's basic problem uh, is before us. Light came into the world. And light, does light mean light or light or light? Capital L. Uh, He's not talking about physical light, the sun rose. He's talking spiritual light. John has already used that concept in the first chapter. In verse 4, in him, Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. In chapter 1, verses 9 and 11, he went on to say, that was the true light, capital L, which gives light, small l, to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, that the world, but, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So the light gave the light. The Lord Jesus Christ is the absolute light, capital L, Lord light. But he also gives light to men. He came as the source of light and life. And again, light, if we have no light, we have no life. But light also has the picture of purity. And it has the idea of giving us understanding. I need some more light on this issue. He said the light came into the world, but men... Loved darkness rather than light. That's the unbelieving response to Christ. Remember, I already read the verse in verse 11 of John chapter 1. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They loved the darkness rather than light. Here he describes unbelief in terms of love. They didn't love the light. They loved darkness. Again, light can mean... It, it may, can be they, they didn't love Jesus, the light of the world. But here, perhaps in this verse, it's talking about they didn't love the light in the sense of that spotlight that came upon them. Light has a, has a sense of there is no 
dirt in it, no uncleanness. Light has the picture, is a picture of purity, God's purity, God's holiness. Light has also the idea of truth, absolute truth. And so there's that sense of they didn't love God's truth and they didn't love God's holiness. But notice he calls it a matter of they didn't love. Darkness is rejection and, and it's the, of light and it's the opposite of purity and righteousness and holiness. Darkness is moral rebellion to God. It's shutting out God, his truth, and his character. It doesn't want his path, and it does not want to bow to his moral law. That's, again, light having the idea of moral purity. And so, not only that, but light has the sense of of spiritual understanding, and they don't want that either. Light, darkness rejects God's truth, suppresses God's truth. That's how Paul described it in Romans chapter 1. So he said, God loved, he sent, and that was explaining Christ having to be crucified. But because with God's love, sending the Son, men are called to believe, but men didn't believe because they loved darkness rather than light. So that notice then that that they, they loved darkness rather than light. They loved moral and spiritual darkness rather than God. And that tells us something. That's talking that's describing unbelief, loving darkness rather than light. It's a moral and spiritual issue. And it's, notice, it's an issue of the heart. Love expresses affection. You know, sometimes it's, you know, there's that, you know, people, we get the sense that unbelief is, they just don't understand. They just don't have the information. Again, Paul in Romans 1 says, they've got the information. They know just looking around at creation. God's character, his existence is displayed. They know in their own heart, but in their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. They shut the door to light. It makes them uncomfortable. As I'm saying that, I'm reminded my own my own reaction to light um, Thursday afternoon. You know, you go to the doctor and they want to examine your, your retina. And so to see the retina, they have to open up Dilate your pupils. Not too bad. Just some drops. And then the doctor uh, comes in with um, light that's incredibly painfully bright. But then when you walk out, you know, they give you these little sunglasses. Because if you don't have some kind of sunglasses, it's going to be miserable. One time I forgot to take the sunglasses with me and I had to drive home. And all I could do is drive home with my eyes closed. <laughs> Honked a lot. No. But, but all that to say, that, that, that sense of light made me incredibly uncomfortable. Well, that's the heart that rejects God. His purity makes me un- makes uncomfortable. His truth makes uncomfortable. But notice, it's a matter of love, affection. They don't want God's truth. 
They don't want God's purity. And that word for love, in Sunday school we were reminded again, you know, there's different words for love in Greek. This word is, if you will, the highest form of love, agape. They didn't agape the light, they agape darkness. Agape love is the highest love because it's not just friendship love, family love. It has the idea of a love that comes from the will. That's how we can love the unlovely because it's not what's in them, but love is in my heart choosing to show love to them. They loved darkness. They chose to set their affection on darkness. Unbelief isn't just the intellect. It's the will and the affection. So I say that's important because, again, sometimes we get this idea. Maybe I just didn't explain it. Maybe I didn't convince you. It's not up here. It's here. It's not simply knowing facts or even understanding the facts. It's a heart that yields and loves God and his truth. It's a matter of the affection of the heart and the will that yields. So when the light came into the world, unbelieving man loved darkness rather than light. Wanted, did not want God's moral righteousness and did not want God's truth. In fact, verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be known. So here, uh, John explains to us further. They don't just love the light. They hate it. Unregenerate man is in rebellion and hates God's light. He hates God's holiness. He hates God's truth. He rejects and opposes it. In his affection, he hates it. In his will, he rebels. He doesn't choose to love God with his whole heart, soul, and mind. He chooses to serve anything else. And that's where one of our problems is. And so um, we start looking for substitutes, anything but. Paul describes that in Romans chapter 1. Verses 21 and 23, we read this. uh, Because although they knew God, so intellectually, they had the evidence around them, they had the the written on their heart knowledge of God, they knew about God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. So that makes it very clear. They hated the light. They rejected the light. And they looked for every kind of substitute to keep them from the light in terms of their moral decisions, in terms of even making false gods. Anything but the truth. Anything but the truth. 
Now, why? Why the hatred of the light? Why the rebellion against the light? Because it says their deeds are evil. And, and there's different words for evil, even in this context. This is the word having kind of the idea of uh, useless and rotten. So it's not necessarily, their deeds are, are of no value morally and spiritually. And again, the idea of rotten. And, and have you ever picked up an apple and I went through this recently, and I, I, you know, and, and all of a sudden your your thumb just kind of slides right into it. Rotten, useless. Deeds outside that aren't from God for God are useless. Rotten. Sinful man doesn't want to approach the light to be exposed to it because it will reveal the reality of his heart. It will show who he is and how he lives. And that word expose uh, can also, and some of your translations may have that. It Exposed isn't really, to me, a, a great translation there. It has the idea of convict, repel, uh, uh, reprove. And so truth tends to reprove lies. Righteousness tends to, by its very own nature, be a reproof and a conviction to unrighteousness. I, I, I read an account of uh, some fellows that went out golfing. And, and one of the guys that was going along was an evangelist. And a friend watched these three went out and played golf, and he came back, and the guy one came back and, you know, the, and clear an unbeliever, and, and he's throwing his golf cart, and he's cursing, and he's angry, and he furious that that evangelist was along and, and so the friend said what did he try and convert you he said, no he didn't say a word about god <laughs> so what's the problem <laughs> he was there and even as he's there it convicted him because he was reminded of god's holy standards the light convicts the darkness Reels who we are and how we live. So what we gain from the, the, so far and from this verse is unbelief is not an issue of knowledge. It's an issue of the heart, will, and emotions. There's no desire for God. There's no desire to yield to him, to bend the will to him. So, so that's so important to understand. Yes, we need to make the gospel clear. But we need to recognize it's a heart issue. It's a, an issue of the will. And people can understand the facts, but simply not want to yield. Now, they may put up all kinds of smoke clouds and, and distractions and, and, and argue, well, I, you know, I'm not sure about this and I'm not sure about that. But the real issue is the heart. And that's a reminder to us, too, because you and I cannot change a heart. And so it's up to God to give the light. It's up to God to open the eyes. We need to pray for him to give open hearts. We can present the truth, but then we need to pray that God's Holy Spirit will move in the heart. And again, I'm reminded parents when you're dealing with your children, teachers when you're dealing with children, the issue is the heart. 
and, and praying fervently that that truth God will use, but in the heart so that they will love the Lord and yield before him. We have an issue going on today um, called Christians who are deconstructing. I used to think deconstructing is what a three-year-old in pliers did uh, when left in the kitchen or with some of your precious tools. But deconstructing is something where they're, they're denying the faith. They're walking around, someone who, who once fervently claimed and, and vocally claimed to be a follower of Christ, then walks away. And, and, it's a, and, and with the struggle, these deconstructing Christians are often uh, very much in the highlight, in, in, the, in the spotlight of, of the world. They're well known, sometimes they've had public ministries, and then they make a very big deal of not just say, you know, kind of slipping away Quietly say, I'm no longer there. No, they want to, you know, they're, gonna, they're even starting blogs and Facebook pages and, 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 and want, thinking everybody wants to know why they've rejected Christianity. Of course, the unbelievers delight in that. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're the darlings of the media because they are revealing the, the dark inner insides of the gospel. No. What's going on there? Well, so many of them perhaps were never even believers. But what's fundamentally going on here is that they didn't have a, a, a change in philosophical thought. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Darkness hates the light. And so often, as I said, it's a moral issue. And often when I see someone walk away in that way, I, I may know nothing about their situation, never will. But often I have the, the wonder, is there something moral going on? And often you find that out happening later. There was a moral issue that preceded and kind of instigated this, this doctrinal departure. Because you've got this problem. If I really believe who would I say about God and the purity and the light of who he is, and I'm living in such a way there's an utter contra- contradiction, something's got to give. And if my love is for darkness, then I will have to just deny the light. And so that's what's going on. So you well, wait a minute, how were they so long in the ministry? And a lot of the times these are celebrity Christians. And that's a dangerous thing to be. I think you can take tremendous comfort in the fact your pastor is not a celebrity pastor. <laughs> um, but I think sometimes, you know, let's, let's, let's show how we can be in the limelight. But so much of that, celebrities live on man's approval. And so, unfortunately, there are those in ministry who it's all about, and they become very popular, and, they've, and, 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 it, and it becomes that performance that's external. Now, again, I'm gro- grossly generalizing. So, but that's how you can have an, a, an unbeliever be active in ministry. And if you want just one example that you might know is uh, John Wesley. Remember, he was, he was a leader of a group, in, in a Bible study in, in Oxford called the Holiness Group. I mean, you don't get more Christian than that. 
And they were involved in prison ministry, and they were involved in all sorts of things, fasting and praying. They'd have devotional studies together in the Greek New Testament. He then gave himself over to the ministry of the Anglican Church and was sent as a, a missionary to America. And it was on his way back from America as a missionary, as a pastor, as a devout uh, Christian leader, that he became convicted of his lost condition. He was around some real believers, Moravians. And so when he got to, back to England, he started kind of hanging out and visiting some of their meetings. And if you know, remember the story, and this always strikes me as so odd, they, he went to a, a Bible study, and the Bible study, they read the introduction of Luther's commentary to the book of Galatians. I think if I tried that, <laughs> I'd be preaching to an empty pew. But, but, but as, as in, in his introduction to the book of Galatians, Martin Luther makes absolutely clear what the gospel is. And you might say the light went on in John Wesley's heart as he heard those words, as he described it. My heart was strangely warmed. He, had, he knew the New Testament in Greek. He had it up here. He could talk Christian doctrine as a missionary and as a minister. But he didn't have it here. I've mentioned before the street evangelist in Berkeley. Sometimes he'd talk to someone and he'd say, the problem with you is you're 18 inches away from heaven. Meaning you've got it here, but 18 inches lower, it's not in your heart. So the deconstruction as Christians, it may very well be that they had the words, they got into the celebrity mode, but then this darkness continued to fester and maybe grow until finally that disconnect caused them to say, I'm going to give into the darkness. And the only way I can do that is to attack the light. Deconstruction. Don't be disturbed by that. Recognize. They may throw some wonderful arguments around. And, and, and I've shared with you, I took a, when I was at Berkeley, I took a course in Bible as literature. Uh, one of those things you look back and say, what was I thinking? <laughs> But this guy was very persuasive in attacking the Bible, very informed. And I wasn't. I was a new Christian. But because I had confidence in God's word, as he, as he went on and railed against the Bible in a very intellectual manner, my response in my own mind was, I don't know the answers to some of those concerns, but I'm sure there are answers and people who know them. I thought about that when I got to seminary and came to know who some of the scholars were. And, and I thought, there it is. These guys could have answered that. There are answers. And even if we don't have the answers yet, God's word is true. Don't be rattled by those things and recognize what's really going on. The heart darkness. A love. It's a moral problem. It's a will problem. So that helps us to understand how can that happen and help us to see and be careful about that issue of discerning the heart. So I think that's what John's talking about. There's this moral disobedience, this darkness that hates the light. And I gave an illustration of my own self after the uh, eye drops and such. You've seen it lived out in another way. Have you ever kind of walked into, not in your home, you've gone to a friend's home, and you turn on the light 
maybe in the kitchen that's been dark for hours, and, and all of a sudden you see motion on some of the surfaces. Those little creatures that they, they don't like the light, and they start scrambling. Because um, they don't like the light. It's a dangerous place for them. They do their work in darkness. That's the soul without Christ. I tried to think of an example the other way. What, what animal is drawn to the light? Have you ever noticed, except for maybe owls, birds, once the dark, it gets dark, they stay put. When the light comes on, they start singing. They have a love for the light. That's their place. So are, are you a roach or a sparrow? I'm going on then down to verse 21. He who does the truth, he who does, and isn't that interesting, not knows the truth, speaks the truth, understands the truth, does the truth. He who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So he's doing some good teaching again. I'm challenged again and again. Good teaching says, I mean this, not this. Do this, don't do that. Here's the darkness, but do the light. He gives us the positive example. When he says this person that's doing the right thing, he, he's doing the truth. In other words, there it is again. It's not intellectual. It's a matter of the will. Doing means obeying, living, not just knowing the truth. Not just Knowing the truth. And so he who does the truth, he says, is not afraid of God's light. He's comfortable there. That's his, that's his home base. Now, again, that doesn't mean this person's without sin. That person doesn't exist, exist except for Christ. But he believes the gospel. And because he knows and trusts in the gospel... He knows he can stand in the light of God's presence because he's been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And indeed, he's covered in the righteousness of Christ. We sing that in And Can It Be. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. How can that be? Now, is that where Wesley, Charles Wesley, who had the similar experiences spiritually to John, when he, and can it be is the testimony of how he came to faith. But the, but, but the point is, when we truly know Christ and truly understand, we, we know we are sinners. Saved by grace. Cleansed by Christ. Going back to the earlier story Jesus told, just like numbers and the putting of the serpent, the fiery serpent up on the pole, Jesus had to be raised on the cross to draw men to himself. What did it take to be saved in, in, from death in numbers? If you were bitten, you had to recognize, I've been bitten. I need to look to God's provision. And they looked, and God healed them. What is a believer? Someone knows, I have sin. I've been bitten. I've got a, I've got a death problem. I've got poison in my system. What's the answer? I will look to God's provision. Jesus Christ on the cross. And again, it's not just an intellectual. I will believe these four, six, eight, twelve truths. 
I will yield my heart to him. I will love him. And so that's the believer who feels comfortable in the presence of the Lord. It says he does this that his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been, they've been done in God. Done in God. He hasn't done his deeds in his own flesh. It's, been, it's a work of God in his heart and life. He, they've been done in God. So he recognizes, I can stand in the presence of God because I'm in Christ. He has cleansed me and I have done good deeds by his grace and through his power and for his glory. Done in God. And so the one who knows Christ feels welcomed and at home in the light. Grateful, instead of running from conviction, though we may sting when we're convicted, a true believer says, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that reminder. Or or thank you for bringing that to my knowledge. Grant me the grace to grow in that area. But the true believer, the one who's in light, is pleasant in light. How can that be? Is, is, is he saying these are, this is a kind of a different works? If there was anybody, the world would have said, he's in the light. They would have said Nicodemus. He is the stellar Pharisee. But Jesus is saying, no, no. It's not what you do. It's who you are in your heart. How does that happen? You must be born again. The only way that we will ever be comfortable, welcome, drawn to God's light is by the Holy Spirit working, giving us a new heart, regenerating us, making us alive. And so as a fruit of the work of God and the Holy Spirit, then we are drawn to the light, welcomed in the light, we, and our works are done in God. Jesus didn't say, Nick, you're almost there. If you just clean up this area over here and this area over here, you're good. No, he said, Nicodemus, the issue is your heart. The Pharisees were masters. In fact, remember, that's one of the things there, they had a problem with Jesus' disciples. The Pharisees knew exactly how to wash your hands. It's all about external cleansing and external behavior. But the issue is the heart. A friend of mine, Charles Spurgeon, told of a missionary who visited a primitive hut. And there in that other culture, he was nauseated by the filthy floor on which he had to sit. He suggested to his host that they could scrub the dirty surface with soap and water. But the man replied, the floor is just clay. Pack down and dry. Add water and it'll turn to mud. The more you try to wash it, the worse the mess becomes. That's kind of the problem of the human heart. If you think you're going to fix your heart by cleaning it up, you're going to turn it into a muddy mess. The problem is, you've got a muddy heart. Dry mud or wet mud, it's still mud. 
But the one who's born of God, born from above, spiritually reborn, there's been a transformation. The heart is no longer a heart of mud. It's now knows the Lord, loves the Lord, drawn to the Lord, and growing in obedience and growing in love for the Lord. Some simple truths that John or Jesus, depending what color the print should be, is telling us here. Are they clear in your heart? Do they help you realize and do they, does this remind us what the central issue is? It's a heart issue. It's reflected in our affection. It's demonstrated in our will. Saving faith is more than information. It's a transformation of a heart. Do you know Christ in that way? Have you been born in the light, born of the spirit, born from above, or are you trusting in information or behavior? If that's the case, flee to Christ. For those of us who love others who have yet to know Christ, what does that tell us to do? Yeah, give them information, of course. But supremely, and here's the problem, it's a work of the heart, and that makes us pray for God to change a heart, bring it into light. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for bringing us into the light out of darkness. We never, never, never would have sought the light in our darkened state, but by your Holy Spirit drawn into this light. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, and that we're at home in your holy presence because of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, if there are any who, who hear these words, any here today, that have yet to believe in a saving way in the Lord Jesus Christ, show them, Father. Show them the darkness of their heart. And open their eyes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.